Time for Plain Politics, this partnership between the uh, Star Tribune and WCCO Radio. Chad Hartman here from CCO, obviously. Patricia Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune. Let's spend some time uh, nationally, folks. We've talked, we'll certainly get locally next segment. But I see, uh, and Pat, I'll let you jump in first, Mm -hmm. that the president's campaign has just sent Jeff Zucker, Mm -hmm. the president's CNN, a cease and desist letter uh, following their poll, which came out a couple days ago, which showed Joe Biden up 14 points. How exactly would this work? Are you allowed to just put a letter out there, bring on some high-profile attorneys, Every time a poll is available, which isn't flattering to you. But he's actually asking for more than cease and desist. He's asking for a retraction, a full-on prominent retraction of the poll. And no, that's not going to happen. And it's, you know, again, it's another of these moves that verge on the dictatorial. I mean, he's just a half step before, you know, from saying, I forbid you to do this. The fact is the poll showed what it showed. And, um, you know, Politicians never like it when it's uh, against them, but they have some standard ways of coping with it. They say it's a snapshot in time. You know, they quibble with who exactly was polled. But to just uh, ask for a retraction, you know, it kind of feels like he's in a full meltdown here uh, when you couple that with some of the other things he's done uh, in the last few days. John, the letter says the poll was designed to mislead American voters through a biased questionnaire and skewed sampling. They called it a stunt and a phony poll to cause voter suppression. They just brought more attention to a poll that is quite unflattering to President Trump. The smart thing, of course, would have been to completely ignore it and to say that our ultimate poll will take place on in early November, when the American public weighs in on this election, and the standard line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and that and that's what you know politicians learn to do at that point. They often invoke Harry Truman as well in that in that respect, but that's usually not President Trump's style. He is much more combative and much more legalistic in his response to issues like this. Now, certainly, the poll may be inaccurate polls are a snapshot in time, as Patricia just mentioned. They can be correct. They can be wrong. Um, they are just a, uh, taking the pulse of, the, of a public opinion. But it may be absolutely accurate at this point. So there's no reason for CNN to pull the poll, to apologize for the poll, or to, you know, in effect, acquiesce to the allegation the Trump campaign has leveled against it at this point. It's also this- not dissimilar from other polls. They're all showing him trending down. Indeed, that is the case. And, and uh, you know, this one may be more of an outlier in terms of the, the total amount that that uh, that there's a difference between the two. Um, but uh, almost all of them, as Patricia just mentioned, have uh, Vice President Biden definitely ahead of the president at this point. Uh, Pat, yesterday, uh, the president... Uh, picked up on one American news network to tweet out nonsense with zero credibility mm-hmm. that the 75-year-old protester in Buffalo who was pushed down, uh, Antifa-based, mm-hmm. the phone was some signal, 
And again, he just tosses out, he is trafficked in conspiracy theories seemingly his whole adult life. As usual, the senators in particular outside of Mitt Romney, who would have thought we'd be saying this about Mitt Romney eight years Mm -hmm. ago, are are all saying, what tweet? I don't know about a tweet. You're just telling me this. So oh, yeah, I, I know we can talk about his tweets often, but how about that one yesterday? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, what he said was the very height of irresponsibility, um, you know, to defame this man who was already brutalized by the police and m- may have serious and lasting injuries that we don't know the extent of still, uh, you know, to to relay uh, rumors that have no basis in fact. It just you, you just can't even wrap your head around the fact that the president of the United States is doing that. So there's that part. Then you have senators who cannot can no longer find it in themselves to defend these. And so they are reduced to lying about their awareness about them. Of course, they know about these things. They're, you know, this is what Washington does. They're constantly tracking these things. Many of them retweet the president's uh, tweets. Yeah. So it's exactly. not it's not a lack of awareness. It's it's a lack of ability to mount a credible defense and they no longer have a willingness to do so. I think is probably the most noteworthy takeaway from that episode. Will this just be the pattern, John, for the next 4 months when they just continue to do this that they feel like um this is the best strategy for them and also they feel like they have no other choice. It's been the pattern for the last four years, so it's likely to be the same for the next four months, although some may look at the relative independence of Republican Senator Mitt Romney, as you just mentioned, and say that that seems to be working much better for him in terms of public opinion approval levels. And senators, it's been widely reported in the GOP, are understandably and should be quite concerned over their ability to hold the Senate in this upcoming election. There are many close calls when, in a normal year, Republicans could be expected to win certain seats in certain states. This includes a poll that came out just yesterday that has a Democratic challenger to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. She is up by one percentage point, so basically statistically tied. But that's an extraordinary outcome in a heavily Republican state at this point. So when they refuse to acknowledge that they're knowledgeable about the tweet, it also directly brings into question their staff, meaning, you know, if they haven't seen it or aren't aware of it, then that's a clear failure on the behalf of their staff. Now, no one truly believes it, as Patricia says. Of course, they're aware of it at this point. Yeah, well, I sure wouldn't want to see staff blamed for something like this. Yeah, I mean, that's a dodge, and voters Mm -hmm. see right through it. There are moments that test the character, and this is one of them. You know, voters can legitimately look at these people as they dodge question after question about uh, the president's role and his lack of responsibility. And their failure to make their position clear tells you a lot about who they are. Let's do this. Let's pause. We'll make a quick break. Come back. We'll turn local, including... Uh, the biggest story today locally about uh, Madera Arredondo for 45 minutes. He made some opening comments about ending negotiations with the union, asked a number of questions about his conversation with Bob Kroll about the 3rd Precinct. We'll have that dialogue with Pat and John in moments on CCO. 
One of the 50 greatest songs in American history brings us back. Patricia Lopez, uh, John Rash, Star Tribune, Playing Politics. Madere Arredondo, the Minneapolis police chief, addressed really the nation today because uh, the cable nets picked it up. Uh, among the items the police chief said is he is pulling out of negotiations with the union representing rank and file negotiators. I'll go to an Andy Mannix tweet from the Star Tribune just on the show the other day. He mentions in the tweet he, he spoke with council member Steve Fletcher after the chief's announcement. Fletcher, who is a leading voice in the push to dismantle the police department, said he believes it's beyond the city's authority and opens them up to a labor lawsuit. Michelle Gross, guys, was on with me. She is with Communities United Against Police Brutality. She said, and by the way, she wants enormous changes within the police department. She also thinks this, the uh, city council has many more vehicles available to them before defund the police. She basically said to me, it's a good PR move and not much more. What do you guys think about what uh, Arredondo said initially and how some are reacting to it in the first few hours? Well, I think, um, you know, the chief is coming under tremendous pressure and scrutiny and I think what a lot of people should keep in mind is that he doesn't have the full authority that a chief should really have. Um, I don't know how you um, bring reforms to a department when you don't have the ability to control the personnel in terms of hiring and firing. Even this firing of these officers, as dramatic as that was happening the, the very next day, may not stand because it's going to go to arbitration the way these things do. Um, they may yet mm -hmm. get reinstated as other as other officers have in the past. Imagine the message that sends to the rank and file when time and time again, the chief is basically overruled. After a while, they lack the real authority to make things stick. And I think that's the situation we're in right now. And as we look at reform, um, that has to be at the top of the list. There has to be a way to deal with, uh, you know, proven with police that have proved that they can't be um, uh, can't be given that great responsibility. Pat, Pat's point, John, I agree with. The question becomes legally: Is Madere Erdana within his right? And do those systematic changes happen, even if he is within his right to do this? I think that's the right question, and the correct answer may have to be decided by some legal authority, a judge or some kind of court yep. case here. And, you know, that never happens quickly. And this is a situation where people are calling out for a more immediate transformation in how the police interacts with the community. So Patricia mentioned that the chief may not have the full panoply of power that his peers across the country may have. And the same thing certainly could be said for the Minneapolis mayor, regardless of whoever he or she is at this point, because as we all know, the way the city is set up, it's a strong council system, and the council, right or wrong, has been strong in terms of unifying quickly on this idea of, at minimum, altering, but maybe disbanding the police force. Now, many of them, you know, did come out after that dramatic announcement, and acknowledged the extraordinary work that needs to be done and you don't just disband the police force at any point not just from a legal standard especially when it's in the city charter 
that they have to have a police force with a certain number of officers per resident in the city, but also you can't have a law and order vacuum in your city, you know, that that a signal that that would send. So this is there's going to be a whole lot of wrangling legally and politically and from a public relations standpoint for the next many months to come. Yeah, Chair, I, got a I want to make sure coming up. that, that um, this is not a situation unique to Minneapolis, nor to Chief Arredondo. Many, many yep. cities struggle with this same issue about very powerful union contracts that mm-hmm. vastly limit oh, yeah. their ability to deal with, um, you know, troublesome officers. I got about 30 seconds from each one of you because I just got a hard break coming up. When, when we have a special session on Friday, do we believe the legislature will vote into law any changes that affect the systematic changes people are calling for? That we talk about the police, but will state law change? And will any of that take place on Friday, Pat? What do you think? Just a short period of time. I am I am told the governor is going to insist on it, but this is not a one day session. This is gonna this is gonna go on for some time, I believe. John, what do you think? I won't go as far as many activists want, but I can't believe that the legislature will leave without having done something legally to address some of these profound challenges. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Uh, I think it's going to last longer than people believe. There will be changes, um, not yeah, as many as okay, some like. They need to do it. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good Thank stuff, you. as always, with Patricia Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune.